0: For his steadfast love endures forever. You guys sing with us.
1: And it is well. It-
0: before. your praise His soul, will I. Nature and science follow the sound of your voice, and as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all. So will I I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky a canvas on your grace If creation still obeys you so will I Sing again a hundred billion times God of salvation You chased down my heart Through all of my failures If you gave your life to love them so alive, like you would again a hundred billion times, but what measure could Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for pursuing us, for drawing us close to you. Father, we ask this morning that you would draw us near and that you would change our hearts and our minds to be like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And if you're one of our kiddos, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club.
2: A limited view can leave us with an incomplete understanding of our world. That was true for the Italian explorer, Christopher Columbus. He was obsessed with this idea of finding a Western route to China and India and Asia across the Atlantic Ocean. And so he finally got funding, he got the boats, he went, At that time, the Europeans couldn't get through Egypt or the Red Sea, and most of the land routes were closed by the Ottoman Empire. And so they were looking for this, to be able to get over to uh, those fabled islands of gold and spices in South and East Asia. So Columbus lands, and he thinks he's discovered China. And he doesn't realize that there are vast unexplored lands before him, including Pacific Ocean, that he has not reached China. He couldn't have been more wrong because he had a very limited view of the world and he didn't know what was out there. This morning, as we look at Scripture, I want to ask a question if we have made a similar mistake with regard to Jesus Christ. Have we reduced him to manageable, predictable proportions? Have we made him a one-dimensional, decaffeinated Jesus of our own making? thinking that we really know and understand him. Are we looking to a Jesus that we know and believe in, but he is much more shallow and reserved than the true and living person of Jesus Christ? That's the challenge before us. As we look to God's word The next few weeks, basically, have we become satisfied that we know Jesus? This sermon series, the title of the series is, Hello, My Name is Jesus. Do you know him? And as we think about Jesus Christ, we want to go beyond just what we think we know to grasping the reality and the mystery of who he really is, for he is both. He is true, and he is real, and he lived and walked this earth, and he lives today. But there's also a great mystery about him that we must embrace, because he is infinite and we are not, and because our minds can only handle so much at all times— We want to go on this journey of really getting to know Jesus and understanding him and experiencing him in greater ways and greater fashion. So when I say, do you know him? I'm not uh, asking about, are you going to heaven? This is not the salvation question. When I say, do you know him? If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin in your place, was buried and rose again, you've asked him to come into your life, then you're going to heaven because he has entered your life to lead you. He has given you the free gift of eternal life. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about, do you know him in this series? We want to look at our daily experience with him. We want to look at as he is woven into the ebb and flow of our life. And what that looks like. And for some of us, it might take us to John 10, verse 10. As we really want to know, what does it mean that Jesus wants us to know life, his life, and to know it abundantly? So that's where we're going with the sermon series. We're going to look for Jesus in new and fresh ways in the next few weeks leading up to Easter It's always exciting to be able to concentrate just on Jesus Christ, who he is and what he is doing in us and through us. And we don't want to do this so that we can now pigeonhole him or reduce him to manageable proportions, but perhaps to expand our hearts and minds, to be able to understand him in new ways and to be able to anticipate and experience an awareness of him all day long, every day as we walk with him and follow him and become more like him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to enlarge what we already know about Jesus. And I want you to know that uh, a large part of my excitement about these sermons and, and these passages that we're going to look at is that I have that yearning. In other words, I don't speak to you as the one who has come to fully know Jesus in in all the ways that I want to. I want to enlarge my understanding of who he is. And, And I have that yearning as a disciple. I've tasted of his goodness, and I want to experience more of it. And so I invite you to join me on this journey as well. In this series, we want to flesh out. Colossians 1, the image of the invisible God. We want to know who more of who Jesus is. We want to flesh out more of John 1:14, that he is the begotten of the Father, full of glory and full of grace and truth. So that's what we want to look at as we start this series. And in today's message, we're going to start in Mark 6 and we're going to look at uh, a passage where jesus interacts with some people that have a very limited view of him and i think the parallel for us even though they are not his followers is that they have a limited view of him because they are so familiar with him and that's one of the issues that you and i run into right we trust jesus for salvation we're familiar that he is the living god of the universe And yet we don't really treat Him that way. We don't get to know Him and understand Him and experience Him. And I'm convinced that the more that we know Him and experience Him, the more that we will love Him and worship Him. And the more that we love and worship Him, the more that we will follow Him and trust and obey Him. So that's where we're going with this series. I invite you to turn with me in Mark chapter 6 as we see Jesus dealing with people who had a very limited view of him. And in verses one through three, we're just gonna look at the first six verses here. In verses one through three, we're gonna look at a limited view of Jesus, restricts our understanding of Jesus. Our passage today keeps Jesus central in every verse. Now we're gonna hear about others, disciples, those who are opposed to him, some people from his hometown. But Jesus is central to every verse here, and he's surrounded by people who know him. And their knowledge of him has made him a little too familiar. And it's actually become a barrier to knowing him. So here's what we see in verse 1. He, he is on the Father's mission, and he has gone from Capernaum now to his hometown, which is Nazareth. This is what we read in verse 1 in the first part of 2. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Jesus has made this 20-mile trip up from the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, along part of it along a major international trade route that, as you know, cut through Israel. And, uh, and then he veered off and went to his hometown of Nazareth. So that's where he is. He's on the father's mission. He is on mission. And as a rabbi, he is teaching as he goes. So he's teaching his disciples and preparing them for their mission. In fact, if we were to look at verses 7 through 13 next week, we would see that the disciples are sent out to do what Jesus is doing. So he's preparing them to do what he does and to proclaim salvation and to proclaim that the kingdom is here. They are in the position of learning about Jesus and his kingdom, not just factual knowledge. Certainly they're picking that up. But they're also looking at how he approaches people what kind of words he uses, the tone of his words, the graciousness of his words. They listen to him as he speaks truth, even in difficult situations. They are understanding more about who he is than just the words or the facts that he gives them. This is hardcore discipleship, and it's beautiful. They follow Jesus to the synagogue, where he's gone to teach God's word, and and they... See his interaction with these people who recognize him as he's teaching God's word. And, and, and this is what they see in verses, or excuse me, at the end of verse 2. The many listeners who were astonished were saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. You know, astonishment is is a common reaction throughout the book of Mark. Anytime Jesus opens his mouth to speak the word. In fact, if you go back to chapter one, uh, in the middle of that chapter, when he first came out and taught, we see that the people are astonished and it's it's explained for us there. They say, you know, he's teaching as one who has authority. He's teaching as one who wrote the book. He doesn't teach like the other rabbis. He doesn't quote rabbis to help us understand what's going on. No, he teaches with an incredible authority, and that leaves them astonished. And so they ask two big questions. Where did he get this wisdom, and where did he get this power? Because they've heard things about Jesus Christ. The way Mark has structured the book for us, he has a section here in the first eight. He's actually just trying to reveal the authority of Jesus Christ who will rule and, and he shows him as a servant teaching and, and so in chapter 4 we have all these parables about the kingdom and there he is teaching God's Word and then at the end of 4 in chapters 5 we have miracles where he is stilling the stormy sea and he is curing an incurable disease and he is casting out demon the garrison demoniac many demons and he is raising a young girl from the dead and so he is showing his authority as mark gives it to us in god's word over the word and his teaching there's his wisdom and his authority over everything nature incurable disease spiritual warfare he has power and so these people have legitimate questions. <laughs> where, where, where did this come from? Word travels fast, and they've heard about these other things, even though they haven't seen miracles. Now they're hearing teaching, and they're amazed at this guy who grew up in their city. And so they have legitimate questions. Where did this highly skilled artisan, this carpenter, where did he get this education and, and when they say where, they're not really asking location. They're asking for the source. Is he getting this from God? Or is he getting this from, is he a sorcerer or a magician? Is it from some other God? The religious leaders themselves back in chapter 3 had said that he was getting his power from Satan. Satan. And so all these questions are swirling around in their minds. The one thing they know is that they know him. But their questions are reasonable. The bigger question among these people is in regard to the motive of their hearts. As they listen to him and as they ask these questions about the source of his authority, we have to wonder, are they seeking to expand their hearts, their knowledge of Jesus? Do they want to get to know him as God's anointed, as he's going to present himself? And in fact, in Luke 4, he makes that very clear as he reads from Isaiah 61 in Nazareth. They want to know what's going on. And that's become a barrier because they know him. Are they seeking this information to expand their understanding of jesus you know i learned early on from my dad to pray for a fresh understanding of god's grace in the circumstances of life and you can think how that plays out and if you've been around me long you've heard me pray that way because we want god to show up and we don't have all the answers all the time but we want to understand who he is And I'm so thankful that my father did that for me because it has opened up a curiosity about this person, Jesus, that I want to know in greater ways. I want to love in greater ways. I want to follow in greater ways. The Nazarenes here are not asking these questions to know Jesus more. We find out immediately why because despite his impressive words and the miracles the deeds they've heard about Jesus is just too ordinary for them they have a limited limited view of Jesus and it restricts their understanding of him and we begin to see why in verse 3 is not this the carpenter the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us you hear what they're saying he is too common to be great. He is one of us. How is he having all this power and authority? Something is violently wrong here. This, this cannot be right. We know him. And so they even say, well, isn't he the carpenter? And that's not a derogatory term. The carpenter in the town, there were usually one or two, was a highly skilled artisan, a highly skilled tradesman. And he could do anything from build a house to repair a roof. And he could do it with few tools and do it fully and completely and creatively. He was highly valued in the town because he could restore and repair. I think that fits Jesus so well as the one who restores and repairs and redeems our lives. But I'm... getting off point here they are saying he is a carpenter he is valued to us and we appreciate him but he is common he's just one of us and then they say well he's the son of mary now this is where they are getting derogatory because in jewish heritage you don't say the son of the mother you say the son of the father even if the father has died And so they may be making reference to the circumstances around his birth. They may just be seeking to put him down. But they are saying son of Mary in a derogatory fashion here. And then they add we know his family, we know his sisters, we know his brothers, James and and Joseph and Judas and Simon. They were not yet followers of Jesus. James, as you know, would go on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Write the book of James. Judas wrote the book of Jude. These are people that would become followers, but at this point they're not, and they they become a reference point for the Nazarenes, the people of Nazareth. Their questions don't really require any answers here, but they do reveal that there's already a denial of who Jesus is. They've heard about him. If nothing else, they're a little jealous. He's kind of outstripped their reputation. He's become popular. They've heard how in any village he goes into, people line up at the door, morning, noon, and night. Everybody wants to know him, to be with him, to be healed by him. Mark sums up the reaction of those in Nazareth with the last part of verse 3, and they took offense at him. They took offense at Jesus. Literally, the word means, it's our English word, scandalized in this context it means they stumbled over him in jesus they found a lot of obstacles to having faith in him because of their limited view of who he was but the biggest obstacle to their faith was their heart they had decided that they knew who he was and because he was so familiar to him to them he could not be god's anointed one he could not be the one that god had sent He was too familiar, and they had decided that they had written him off. Gwen and I, Gwen has a a good friend named Barb out in the Atlanta area, and uh, Barb tells this story of uh, her kids. It's a funny story. It's about one of their good friends who's a well-known person, and you'll get a real kick out of it when I tell you who it is. One time, this good family friend and his family are over there with Barb and her family, and they're having fun, and and the kids find out that this family friend is entering into a business venture with John Schneider. Now that's no relationship to me, unfortunately, (laughs) but you remember John Schneider from Dukes of Hazzard, perhaps, or as a recording artist. And, uh, and so they're like, no, <laughs> there's no way. You're pulling our leg. He's a celebrity. There's no way that you could ever meet him, much less be in a business venture with him. Come on, Foxy. Well, the adults had a good laugh about that. And then Barb explained that Jeff Foxworthy, their good friend, is a good friend of John Schneider's and was entering into business with him. The problem for the children was they had only known Foxy as a good family friend. He was so familiar. There was no way he could know this guy that they see on TV all the time. He was too familiar. That's what's going on for the people of Nazareth. They watched Jesus grow up. They watched him become a carpenter and a valued tradesman in their city and they find him all too familiar, there's no way that he can be who he says he is. And I think it's fair for us to ask the question here, how do we do that? Do you still have an image of some picture that was on the wall in your childhood Sunday school of Jesus? Do you still remember him from some mountaintop retreat as the one who became real to you at that point? And that's exciting, and that's real, and that's true. But that's not all Jesus is. Or is your life just too hectic and and too filled and frantic that you don't really have time to spend time getting to know Jesus through his word and through prayer? Or is it that we're just too familiar? We've assigned in our minds who he is, and we understand that, and we're good. And we've essentially settled for less than he really is we don't want to be those people like the people in nazareth who have found him to be so familiar that our lives are limited by a shallow relationship with jesus christ they had a limited view of jesus and it restricted their understanding of him they find no reason to believe that jesus is god's anointed no way he's doing business with god So in verses 4 to 6, we see what happens with a limited view of Jesus. A limited view of Jesus leads to a limited view or a limited faith. Jesus was not done with them. He's going to give them a a proverb to consider. He hopes to wake them up and cause them to think about who he is and rethink their position about him. But this is what he says about their rejection in verse 4. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Going back to the old Testament, a prophet was often dishonored in his hometown. Why? Because he was God's mouthpiece speaking with great authority, often a message of truth that people didn't want to hear. And they certainly didn't want to believe that he had been elevated above them. That's what's going on here. So, Jesus mentions that proverb to him. They've made up their mind that he's too familiar. And I wonder if that's a little bit of what we face when we witness the family members. We try to share the love of Christ with them and give the gospel. And how often do they wonder, how do you get this information? And I didn't get it. What makes you so good? What makes you right? kind of the same reaction as we follow in mission on the mission that Jesus has given us. These people are saying, you're too common, you're too familiar, you can't know this. They reject Jesus, and he informs them that he is God's mouthpiece. He is doing business with God, and he stays on mission with God, with the Father. So an underlying theme throughout the Gospel of Mark rears its ugly head here, and that's the theme of opposition. It's come up in the past with demons in in the first six chapters, the first five chapters of of Mark. It's come up heavily with the religious leaders. In fact, in chapter 3, they begin to plot to kill him at that point because of his popularity, because he doesn't follow their legalistic rules there's a huge contrast throughout the gospel of Mark between the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ and the blind misunderstanding of those who are getting to know him. And obviously there's even a progressive understanding of his own disciples as they begin to realize more and more as they hear him teach, as they recognize these miracles and they see his sovereignty and his power and his compassion. We want to be like those disciples. You don't settle for, a blind misunderstanding, but continue to get to know Him, continue to walk with Him. We will continue to look for Him, for our daily protection and provision. There's a principle here that Jesus is often dishonored by those who know Him best. It's true of the people He grew up around. Jesus was rejected outright. It can be true of us. As I've said, we can find Him too familiar. We tend to put God in a box of our own making. We get to know him. We love certain portions of him. We label him and we understand him in that way. And it's meaningful. But we can easily limit ourselves as to who he is with a limited understanding. We never want to be satisfied that we fully know Jesus Christ. We want to be on this journey with great anticipation. We've seen the People of Nazareth, who knew him best, reject him. And I find the contrast so compelling with how Jesus relates to us. He knows us best, right? He created us, he handcrafted us, not only in his image, but with the unique designs and gifts and talents and he's given us a calling, a way to serve him in this world, and he's commanded us to do that. He knows our nature. He knows our thoughts. He knows our attitude. He hears our words, and he sees every action. He knows us best, but he doesn't reject us. He loves us. In fact, the one who knows us best loves us most. And I think it's just a a compelling way that turns us back to love him and and to desire to know him in greater ways. He is the skilled artisan who repairs and restores and redeems us to wholeness. That's where he's taking us on this journey of becoming like him. And, And that is so exciting. It is such a contrast for how the people of Nazareth who know him best treat him. Well, we've seen in Mark 6 that the people did not express their faith in Jesus. Mark gives us a final summary of Jesus' actions and his thoughts in these next couple of verses. Jesus' time is done in Nazareth. In fact, there's probably good indication that that we have no record of him returning. But here is words and actions in verse 5. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. These people expressed no faith. Jesus shows grace grace in in reaching out to them. But he could do no more, more miracles there. And when you first read that, you think, well, there's no more miracles. Does he have no power unless people show faith? But we know that's not true, even from the Gospel of Mark, as we've looked at the miracles there, or as you read the Gospel of Mark and look at those, there are several miracles that he does where there's no expression of faith. When he calms the sea, when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, when he casts out the demons. There's no faith expressed there. This is not an issue of faith. This is an issue of Jesus being on the Father's mission. And so he's not going to simply do miracles for miracles' sake. These people have rejected him. They have no faith in him. And the purpose of, of miracles is to bring about faith and to encourage faith. And so, just like he didn't make bread out of stones when he was tempted in the wilderness, because that didn't fit the Father's mission, he doesn't go around performing miracles in Nazareth. He could do no more because he was on the Father's mission. He was—he wasn't going to make miracles a, a, a sideshow, a, a circus. He wanted to keep moving and letting people know about the kingdom. He's not a sorcerer. He's not a magician. And we get his final thoughts in the first part of verse 6, and he wondered at their unbelief. He wondered at their unbelief. It's only a couple times we're told that Jesus wondered at something. He's disappointed. He's he's frustrated. The people of Nazareth were unwilling to believe that his wisdom and power were from God. They had a, a limited view of Jesus, and they rejected him and so as we think about our own view of jesus we ask how does that play out in practical terms most of us accept the truth that jesus is god the son that he possesses all power and wisdom and that he has given us his word to reveal himself and his ways and his thoughts and yet we don't take his word seriously at times we don't often go to it just to learn about jesus christ and yet we're told every book of the bible points to jesus and so we have to ask the question in our familiarity do we take him for granted we know that hell is canceled and and heaven is guaranteed for all who place their faith in jesus christ and is that good enough we don't want to settle for that We want to be people that grab the hand of Jesus Christ and walk with him through this world that begin to understand him and and continue to know him and experience him in fresh ways every day to begin to understand this world, this broken world and broken people and to reach out in greater ways with greater love as we serve others because we know Jesus Christ and he is involved in our lives. So I wanna challenge us to get to know the image of the invisible God through Jesus Christ, to understand more of his grace and truth. And so I'm gonna suggest by way of application a couple of things just to help us at the very start here as we think about building our awareness of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I would suggest three ways that we can build our awareness with Christ. The first one is through his word. And so again, we don't talk about having quiet times or devotions or reading God's Word so we can check it off a list or so that we can say we did such and such in a given year. We do this to engage in our relationship with Jesus Christ to get to know Him in, in greater ways, to have a greater awareness of who He is and what He says and what He does. And and then I would challenge you to have a greater awareness of Him just through your life situation. And certainly that comes through prayer and through understanding God's Word and and asking Him for a fresh understanding of His grace, for understanding what is going on here. What do you want me to do? How can I respond? Will you give me the strength through this? And of course, his word makes it completely clear. I would ask you to get in the better awareness of Jesus through community. And you're doing that in adult Bible fellowships and small groups and, and just over coffee or over a meal. As we seek to understand Jesus better and as we share those insights that we have as I learn something about Jesus and how he helps me in a relationship. And and I share that with you, and you share with me how he's helped you in a very difficult decision. So we have awareness of Jesus, better awareness through his word and through life situations, letting him interpret it for us and through community. And and then I would suggest four titles of Jesus— And I would do this so that you can limit yourself. Now, here I am trying to put him in a manageable proportion, right? But we got to start somewhere. And I think if we practice here, then maybe it just keeps expanding for us. But I would give you the four titles of of Jesus that are up here on the board. Jenny Craig uh, painted these for us beautifully like she has all the names. She and some friends chose these and they are creator, sustainer, redeemer, and king. What if you just took those four titles of Jesus Christ and thought about him that, that way for this week or maybe this month or maybe until we get to Easter and what if you began to interpret your life through those four titles of Jesus Christ if you saw him and said oh I see how he's working how he created me isn't it incredible where he placed me to be able to do this because others wouldn't be able to do it the same way it's phenomenal how he has sustained me this week we say We can look at that we can praise him we can thank him we can beg him to sustain us through whatever we're doing in the circumstances of life we can praise him and thank him for redeeming us from slavery to sin to freedom in christ but also for redeeming so much of our lives so much of our failures and our foolish choices that he has turned in ways that honor and glorify him and serve others and certainly to praise him as king. I challenge you to become a greater awareness of him and even to use these four titles. I think that will help us not take him for granted. And maybe it'll break some of these ruts and routines of how familiar we are with him and make him more precious. Because I am convinced that the more that we know Jesus Christ, the more that we will love him and worship him, and the more that we love him and worship him, we will better follow him and trust and obey him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you call us friend and that you are very much interested in our lives. We thank you that you lavish your grace upon us and you don't reject us even though you know us best. And so we ask for the grace to get to know you to experience and understand you in far greater ways than we do already and we thank you Jesus that you are alive that you're involved in our lives and so we ask for the grace to understand you and know you and proclaim you and we pray this in your powerful name amen
3: good morning just before we move to our next part of our worship service. So I I know that, or I hope that most of you received uh, the email communication on Friday from the elders. And so if you will permit me, I wanna read from that so that I don't ad lib and say something that's not written. So dear church family, we write to provide you with news affecting our church family prayerfully and with careful consideration we've decided to restructure the staff at CBC, excuse me. I will attempt to walk you through, as the letter reads, I will attempt to walk you through those approaching uh, changes. Our current staffing, as a part of that restructuring, we're eliminating the position of associate pastor. Effective as of March the 1st, uh, Matt Ward will no longer be on staff. Our desire through this time of change is to honor Matt and to recognize the impact of his ministry at CBC. We also desire to keep supporting Matt, Angela, and the children at this time of transition, and we've made financial provisions to do so. Matt has served the Lord as a staff member at Conroe Bible for almost eight years. He served our body in numerous ways over that time, including his clear biblical preaching his teaching in a variety of formats, including ABFs, seminars, workshops, new member classes, et cetera. Many years of Matt's time on staff were spent investing in our students and their families through student ministries. He's also served our church family through the leadership of a number of other ministries, including beyond our doors and, uh, which has served to bring the love of Christ uh, to our local community we're asking please join me please join us in thanking matt for his service to us as an associate pastor we plan to honor matt and his family with a formal celebration in the month of march and we are also thankful that matt and his family plan to remain on as a part of our church family our prayerful assessment of the needs of the church family has led us to develop two new full-time positions in our restructuring the CBC staff, we are adding full-time, a full-time children's pastor and a full-time youth pastor. We ask for your continued prayer for CBC through these transitions. It's the end of the letter. The email itself contains some more, and so the, my next comment are, if you didn't receive that communication and you're not on our email list and you would like to be uh, please contact Elizabeth at the church office uh, tomorrow afternoon. And then lastly, also, if you have any additional questions or comments, uh, you're welcome to contact, uh, the elders, myself, Dave, um, Mike, or Brad. sorry, I didn't mean to pull away there. Dave, Matt, Dave, I'm sorry, i to try this one more time, better look at the piece of paper. Dave, Brad, Mike, or myself, thank you.
0: I sent away for being here. Have a great week.